I asked this uh, question at first service. How many of you cut your own Christmas tree? Okay, like, you guys, you guys are trying to put Christmas trees out of, uh, like, farms out of business, right? Like, there was one, like, the, I'm so glad that the pastoral staff are doing their part to help <laughs> Christmas tree farms. I mean, every November, that's what we do as a family. We go, and we look, we go down the rows of trees, and we try to find the perfect Christmas tree. Now, I know you guys aren't into that now, so that's okay. Um, you keep getting all your artificial trees, that's fine. Maybe you're, maybe you're more interested in, in, in a different type of tree. Maybe you're more interested in your family tree. Isn't there a lot of commercials and advertisements for, for finding out about your family tree, where you came from? You know, Ancestry.com, all those things. Uh, a few years ago, um, just as a trial subscription, um, I, I got Lori uh, this, this opportunity to kind of check out what her family tree was. And, and we found out that she has a lot of her roots. They come from England. No wonder why she loves like those British drama shows and uh, period pieces, right? We also found out... We also found out that she, um, she's a distant cousin to Elvis Presley. I, I, I even have a picture of her and Elvis. Well, it's, this is the closest we ever got to Elvis. Let's just say we're not going to be moving into Graceland anytime soon, okay? I even went online myself this week just to find out my roots, and I got to see my, my great-grandfather picture of him, Theodore Harvey Stairs. It was really neat. Some people take this to the next level and they actually get their DNA tested to see where their ethnicity is. And, and uh, Lori's sister did that a while back and she found out that she's 2% Jewish. So I knew, I, know that I, I knew a long time ago that I married a daughter of Israel, which has got me really excited, which explains why she, she loves to study biblical Hebrew rather than biblical Greek. You know, that makes a lot more sense now. You know, um, I don't know what situation you find yourself in, what, uh, what your family tree is, but um, as we look, look to the Christmas story, uh, genealogies are a large part of it. Both in the Gospel of Matthew and the Gospel of Luke, we read genealogies of Christ. So genealogies is, is a thing that happens at Christmas. And some of you, let's just be honest, when you're reading your Bible and you come across a genealogy, you kind of skip it, don't you? Right? I'm not in your room. I'm not sneaking up on you, but I'm just guessing. Is this true? You don't doubt, cut down Christmas trees, but you skip genealogies, right? Okay. Well, I want you to turn to a genealogy that's found in the Bible in Nehemiah chapter 7, starting in verse 5 and going through verse 73. And we're going to find in our study of ancestry today that uh, this should lead us to amazement about God, and it should also have a response of adoration to God. So our study in ancestry should lead to amazement about God and adoration to God. And uh, I think you'll be really encouraged as you look at this genealogy. And then we, we look forward to Christ's genealogy. We're going we're gonna to jump there later on. But um, would you please stand with me for the reading of God's word? I'm not going to read the whole passage because we already read through this whole passage uh, when we studied Ezra 2, but I'm going to um, read verses 5 through 7 and then jump down to verse 66 through the end of the chapter. 
So starting in verse 5, and you can check this out on your smartphone, Google it, uh, Nehemiah chapter 7, verse 5. Then my God put into my heart to assemble the nobles and the officials and the people to be enrolled by genealogy. And I found the book of the genealogy of those who came up at first, and I found written in it. These are the people of the province who came up out of captivity of those exiles whom Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, had carried into exile. And they returned to Jerusalem and Judah, each to his own. And they came with Zerubbabel. Can we all say that? Zerubbabel? It's a really fun name to say, right? (laughs) And then there's Joshua, Nehemiah, Azariah, Ramiah, Nahamaniah. Whoa, that's a big one. I got that one wrong. Nahamaniah. Mordecai, Bilshan, Mizpereth, Bigvay. That sounds like a basketball player, right? <laughs> Nahum and Bena. Then jump down to verse 66. The whole assembly together was 42,360, besides their male and female servants, of whom there were 7,337. And they had 245 seniors, male and female. Can you imagine that choir? Like, that would be amazing. Their horses were 736, and their mules, 245, their camels, 435, and their donkeys. Man, they love donkeys, 6,720. Now, some of the heads of the father's houses gave to the work. The governor gave to the treasury 1,000 derricks of gold, 50 basins, 30 priest garments, and 500 minas of silver. And some of the heads of the father's houses gave into the treasury of the work 20,000 derricks of gold and 2,200 minas of silver. And what the rest of the people gave was 20,000 derricks of gold, 2,000 minas of silver, and 67 priest garments. So the priests, the Levites, the gatekeepers, the singers, some of the people, the temple servants in all Israel lived in their towns. And when the seventh month had come, the people of Israel were in their towns. May God add understanding to the reading of his word, and may his spirit fill each one of us today. You may be seated. Look at verse 5. Then my God put into my heart. Then God put into my heart. What has God put into your heart today? Is there something that God has put in there? The whisper of the Holy Spirit that you just have not had the courage to go and act on. Maybe even tell others. One of the big prayers for me this week for you, has been that whatever God has put in your heart, that you would do it. For some of you, maybe that's to finally go public with your faith. Maybe some of you to get baptized. Maybe some of you to be bold and go talk to that neighbor, that coworker, that fellow student. Whatever God, maybe it's to take a risk, to start a new ministry. Whatever God has put in your heart, you need to do it. You need to do it. And how do you know whether God's put in your heart? It has to align with his word. Now, I'm guessing many of you have probably, if I was going to survey all of you, wouldn't be writing the genealogy, right? But that's what God put in Nehemiah's heart. And he starts off and he talks about all of those who have, have, um, were exiled for those 70 years because of, of the Jews cheating on God. And then verse 7, he lists some pretty famous people in, in, the, in the history of Israel. 
And there's some names that kind of stuck out. The first is Zerubbabel, which we, we all have fun saying, and, and I'll come back to Zerubbabel. Uh, he, was, he was a governor. That's what you need to know right now. And then there's Yeshua. Uh, Yeshua, is, um, he is actually a high priest. So you have the government, you have the priest represented. And, and it's, by the way, this is not just in chronological order. It's also in prominence. And then there's Nehemiah, and he's, he's another governor, and he's the one who has, is rebuilding the wall, and he's the author of this book. And then, and then notice also this name Mordecai. Does anybody remember who Mordecai is? Yeah, exactly. You got it. That is Esther's uncle. Remember? Mordecai, he, he thwarted the, uh, the plans of Haman and... Um, and God used him in mighty ways during that time when, when Esther and, and the Jews were just about to, to be demolished and, and to perish. God always sends a deliverer, doesn't he? God sends somebody into our lives. What an encouragement. As we continue to, to walk through this passage, um, I want to highlight some, some places. I want to highlight some people. And I want to highlight some positions. And so let's look at verses um, kind of 8 through, through uh, 38. And we're going to see some names that kind of pop out. Uh, the first is in verse 26. The men of, what does it say there? Bethlehem. Bethlehem. Bethlehem was this small little town, right? We sing this song, Oh, little town of Bethlehem. And yet this small little town gets prominence in in, in, the, in the Old Testament. In fact, let me put it this way. God is dropping Christmas gift hints all throughout the Old Testament. They didn't even know what Christmas was yet. So Christmas, Christ is born. But, but God is saying in Micah 5 and in Isaiah, he's declaring, guess what? I'm going to do something amazingly big in this small little town of David. Literally the house of bread. Bethlehem. And so the men of Bethlehem are listed. We also see another name that kind of pops out in verse, um, verse 29. Kiriath Jerem. Now, for you Bible students out there, that name might ring a bell. In fact, let's turn back to uh, Joshua chapter 15. If you have your Bibles, turn back to Joshua 15 verse 60. And again, I want to show you, genealogies aren't boring. That, that God's word is, all, all scripture is God-breathed, right? And it's profitable for teaching and training and rebuking and correcting and training up in righteousness. Do you believe that? Okay. So what does this curious jirium have to do with that? That doesn't sound really exciting. But Joshua, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua 15 verse 60 it says, Kiriath Baal, that is Kiriath Jerem, right? Now, Baal, what, is, what does that have to do with anything? Does that sound familiar? Baal was, who was Baal? He was the god of the Canaanites. He was the god that the Canaanites worshipped. So think about this. This was a place that was wicked at one time, a former place of idol worship that caused the Israelites to stumble. But then God is redeeming that. 
for the men of Kirjirim, and it's mentioned in this genealogy in Nehemiah 7. What, what a great truth. Here's a truth you need to hang on to. God can redeem the wicked places in your life. Here's the proof of this. In fact, can you think of any wicked places? Maybe you're like filling in your workplace or school and you're like, man, I'm the only Christian. It just seems so wicked. They're all about other things than, than God. They have no concern for God. Maybe your home feels that way. Today you are sitting in a place that was formerly wicked. Hespler, downtown Hespler, at, at one time was a place where biker gangs had, had all the power. There were brothels. Do you realize that people started praying for Hespler, especially Heritage College and Seminary, and now that that's being redeemed and, and there, this place is, this, this been, it's been taken over by good businesses, and there was directly because of prayer. If God can do that way back at Kirith Ball and also in Hesper, he can do it in our lives. You need to believe that today. Let's keep going through this genealogy, this listing of places and positions and people. And then in verse 32, another name that really sticks out is it says the men of Bethel. Uh, Bethel means the house of God. Right? The house of God. And the first time we ever encounter the, the place of Bethel, does anybody remember where? Jacob in Genesis 28, right? Remember the vision that Jacob had of the, the, Jacob's ladder of the, the angels ascending and, ascending and descending? And this the communication that God was like, I'm coming. I'm opening the door towards heaven. There's a future. There's a future for you. Brought great hope to Jacob. So again, there's a reminder to the history. When, if people today, if you find yourself doubting whether you believe Christianity to be true, these genealogies ground everything in history. You can't argue against a historical persons. There was real existence. These places exist. That same verse in verse 32, we have Ai. Now, this is a place of, of infamy, actually. Um, just to give you the context, Ai was a small little town. And, um, uh, you know, the, the Israelites had just come into the land and, and God had miraculously, had miraculously um, defeated Jericho. And so, you know, the, the Israelites were like, well, you know, Ai is just so small in comparison to um, to, uh, to Jericho, we'll just send a few troops. We'll just send a few troops in there and we can wipe them out. We got this, this town conquered. And uh, guess what happens? They are resoundingly defeated. They, they, the people of Ai beat the Israelites and it brought great discouragement into the Israelites' hearts. And the reason why they were defeated was because God had told them not to... Uh, to gather any of the plunder from Jericho, they were to burn it all. But there was this guy named Achan, and he caused a lot of aching in Israel, okay? I know that's a groaner, but that's, that's what happened. He took some of that plunder, he hid it in his tent, and, and what happened was the Israelites were defeated because they had hidden sin. What a reminder of the communal nature of sin, that the sin of one can cause the sin and downfall of many. 
And so AI is listed, but in a redemptive way. God, God, that place was settled, just like Bethel was, just like Bethlehem, just like Kiriath-Jerim. The same goes for in verse 36, the sons of Jericho. I already mentioned Jericho. Remember the walls came a-tumbling down? What a great victory. God can redeem these places. They weren't supposed to rebuild, but God used this. And so God can use your past. Here's the thing about genealogies. Maybe you have a godly history. And you can look back in your life and think, wow, there are some amazing things that have happened. And um, you're really thankful for God's faithfulness and the godly heritage that you have. Or maybe today you're like, man, John, I'm the first Christian in my family. No one else wants Jesus. God can redeem that, right? This is the story of, of these places and people. Because it's all about his grace. It's not, as I said from the beginning in John chapter 1, verse 12, it's not about your will. It's not about your, 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 um, your lineage. It's about Jesus Christ and his grace, what he's done in your life. So that's kind of a walk through verses 6 through 38. Genealogies are repeated in the Bible because people are looking for anchors to... Um, to their ancestors. Isn't it so true that we live in, in a society with broken homes and broken families? People want that. That's why these, these popular ancestry and DNA sites are, are online. Could I just give you a real application with one thing that I would challenge you? When you gather with your family this Christmas, would you start to tell some of the stories of the past? Would you tell them about what great-grandpa did and and even if they're like the black sheep of the family, tell the story. Because then you can lead. You know what? I'm still here today despite my family. Because God is faithful. It can help you get into a gospel conversation. Or if you have a godly heritage, as I said earlier, you can be thankful. You can praise God for that. It should lead to thanks. So that's one of the applications as we walk through this, this, this genealogy. Then verses um, 39 through um, really 60, we find, and this again, we already studied, and I'm not going to go into depth. This was found in Ezra 2, but um, we find the Levites are listed. There's not a lot of Levites, right? We talked about this earlier. They had a Levite problem, right? They had a missing Levites. Then the temple servants, uh, sorry, verse 39 was the priest, the Levites, verse 43, the temple servants in verse 46, um, which is just a reminder that... Um, you know, we today, First Peter says that we are, are a, a priesthood, that we're called to connect people to God, and God always has his people that will connect, connect others to God. We are now that people. What, a, what an encouragement to us. Then we have the, son, the sons of Solomon's servants, verse 57. For those of you who have been to temple a long time, this will be an encouragement because even here, there, there's a... There's a a real um, emphasis on history and that there was a history, good and bad, that needs to be looked at. And so we can thank God for the history the temple has as we look at, the, look at the, that verse. What I really want, though, to focus in on is, is the next couple sections in this genealogy. And um, look what it says in verse 61. I'll read verses 61 through 65. The following were those who came up from Tel Maha and Tel Harsha, Cherub, Adon, Nimr, 
But they cannot prove their father's houses nor their descent where, whether they belong to Israel. Now that word, um, that word tell, it's nothing to do with telephones, okay? It literally means uh, tell, and you can see this in, in Israel today. I'd love to take you all to Israel. It's so neat. You, there's these, these big hills, and those hills are often where old cities burned down and were destroyed, and then they have this rubble, and so they call them a tell. So this is what's, what's called tell maha, melha, tell harsha, okay? Um, and God, God loves to redeem things that were broken and, and, and in the past uh, were destroyed. Another encouragement, verse 61. Then Cherub, Adon, Imar, but they could not prove their father's houses nor their descent whether they belonged to Israel. The sons of Delahad, the sons of Tobiah, the sons of Nakoda, and also of the priests, the sons of Hobiah, the sons of Hakos, the sons of Berselai, who had taken a wife of the daughters of Barsali the Gileadite, and was called by their name. These, these sought the recognition among those enrolled in the genealogies, but it was not found there, so they, could, were, so they were excluded from the priesthood as unclean. Have you ever gone to a restaurant where there's, what is on the sign it says, no food, no, no, it says no shirts, no shoes, no what? No service, okay? Well, in this case, no what would be equivalent of an Israelite passport, no service. You're not getting any service. You're not getting any food, right? Any holy food. It says, that's what it says. Verse 65, the governor told them that they were not to partake of the most holy food until a priest with the Urim and Thummim should arise. That was to, those, that's what the priest wore to be able to determine uh, God's will. And it was a way of them figuring out the will of God. Now, a couple names that really stick out in this passage of... of um, of Nehemiah 61 through 65. Um, I'll start with, uh, with Tobiah. Look at verse 62, Tobiah. We've, we've seen this guy in chapter 4 and chapter 6, and he is the nemesis of Nehemiah and the Jews. And we probably now discover a little bit of the problem. And Tobiah had daddy issues, right? He didn't know who his dad was. He couldn't trace his lineage, and he also had FOMO issues, right? Fear of missing out. He wasn't going to get any of the holy food. So maybe this explains some of the issues why he was, he was such an antagonizer towards Nehemiah. And then there's Barcelli. Now, this is really cool. You're going to like this, especially all the younger people. Barcelli means Iron Man. He was the first Iron Man before Robert Downey Jr., and the Avengers, okay? Come on, that's funny. You got to like to laugh at that. But here's the thing. This Iron Man, he really didn't like his dad because in his family name, because he, it says in the parentheses, who had taken a wife of the daughters of Barcelli the Gileadite and was called by their name. So he decided, you know what? I actually like my in-laws and I like my father-in-law and I like his last name. I don't want to be known by this other name. But it cost him, didn't it? So this, this, is the, this is the first Iron Man in the Bible. This is really important to know where we come from. Like I said earlier, our genealogies also remind us that we don't come from a perfect background, do we? I was reading in this, um, about this magazine um, called, Who Do You Think You Are? And I, I found it very interesting, between the 11th and 15th centuries, there was 40 children born out of wedlock 
from the royal family. So genealogists have studied this, and they say that there's probably in, in England today, with British industry, up to 4 million people who actually have royal blood. Can you imagine that? In fact, some say if you have British industry, you're probably, you're probably related to the royal family, but you're not probably going to ascend to the throne anytime soon. So this totally makes sense, Don. I totally understand it. It freaks me out every time I drive, by, walk by your car and I see the queen and I'm like, you're related to her probably. <laughs> so that's, that makes a lot more sense to me, okay? In that day, this was very important in the Jews that you could trace back your lineage and know where you came from. But here's the thing. Jesus has changed that. He's helped us. We, um, we look ahead to the genealogy of Christ. And here's where I want to just remind you. Verse 7, the first name was Zerubbabel. You got to check this out. Matthew chapter 1, verse 12. That name Zerubbabel means the seed of Babylon. The seed of Babylon. And in Matthew chapter 1, Verse 12, and I'll read this to you. Again, in history, this is grounded in this Christmas story. We're, we're still seeing Nehemiah and Ezra and all these, these, these things that happened 400 years earlier. Verse 12 says this in Matthew chapter 1. And after the deportation to Babylon, Jeconiah was the father of Sheatiel, and Sheatiel the father of Zerubbabel. Right? Zerubbabel. There he is. And Zerul, the father of Abiud. Isn't it amazing what God can do? He could take our, our lineage, and here's this man who is the seed of Babylon. This is not a name that you want to call your kid. And he can redeem it. And he puts it in the line of Christ because here's the thing. It doesn't matter where you came from. It's all about the grace of Jesus Christ today that he loves you, that he's wanting to welcome you into his family. Do you believe that? It's an awesome truth. So what should we do about it? Well, let's go back to Nehemiah 7. And here's what we should do. This is what the Israelites did. Verse 66. The whole assembly together was 42,360. Then it describes all the, really the, the servants and the choir and the animals. And then look at verse 70. Now some of the heads of fathers' houses gave to the work. The governor gave to the treasury a thousand derricks of gold, 50 basins, 30 priests' garments, 500 million minutes of silver. And some of the heads of fathers' houses gave into the treasury of the work 20,000 derricks of gold and 2,200 minutes of silver. And what the rest of the people gave was 20,000 derricks of gold, 2,000 minutes of silver, and 67 priests' garments. So, okay, if you look in the, the margin of your Bible, maybe in the notes or in um, the bottom, um, on mine it says what a derrick was. A derrick was a coin weighing about a quarter of an ounce or 8.5 grams, and a minna was one and one quarter pounds, or 0.6 of a kilogram. So, you bankers can check this out. Um, I did a little bit of math, um, and I used what uh, the price of silver and gold was in Canadian on Monday. 
So on Monday, an ounce of gold was nearly $2,000. And an ounce of silver was nearly $22. So now you can start to do the math. Would you like me to help you out with how, how much this all was today? Okay. Um, the amount of gold that they gave was $20 million, $20 million $500,000. The amount of silver was $2,068,000. How many people gave? How many people were there? 42,360. Right? 42,360. That's not a lot of people. In fact, you realize that if you combine the populations of Hespler and Preston, it's 46,000. Just slightly over. Yet they gave over $22 million. Now, were these people, were these people rich? Say, so, well, yeah, they were. No, they were exiles, remember? They were slaves. Probably lived on a fixed income. Brothers and sisters, what could we do at Temple? I know many of you live on a fixed income. But our, our, whenever we're amazed with God, our adoration should be, God, I, you've been so generous to me. You gave us your son. I want to give back to you. And I, I got to just talk to the fathers just for a moment. This is really important because it, it literally says, now some of the heads of fathers' house to gave to the work. Then he goes on and talks about the leaders giving. If you fast forward to a, really almost a contemporary of Nehemiah, Look at Malachi chapter 3, starting in verse 6. We see that some of the fathers gave to the work, but not all of them did. And this is what Malachi says, and I believe this will be a really encouragement to you. Look at verse 6. Malachi, which is the last book in the Old Testament. For I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore you, O children of Jacob, are not consumed. I love this. The constant. Your life might be changing. I talked to some of you today. Your life just feels like it's, it's spinning out of control. God isn't. God hasn't changed. He's in control. And that's why we're not consumed, his people. And then look at verse 7. From the days of your fathers, you have turned aside from my statutes and have not kept them. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. Oh, that's one of our big prayers. We're every Wednesday night, which I encourage you to come. We're praying for revival. We're praying for God to return to Canada, to us, in powerful ways. The end of verse 7 says, But you say, how shall we return? Verse 8, will man rob God? Yet you are robbing me, the Lord says. But you say, how have we robbed you? In your tithes and contributions. You are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. Bring the full tithes, that's 10%, into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house, and thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. Brothers and sisters, I say unapologetically that because of the generosity of Jesus Christ is demonstrated even through these genealogies, that that should be our response to him, to give to him, to give to him. So I ask this question, is Jesus at the top of your list to give to this Christmas? 
it is his birthday, right? It is about him, right? That, that cliche saying, Jesus is the reason for the season. Jesus is the gift. And this is why we give gifts to others as a symbol of the amazing gift of God. So today, I'm hoping that this will stimulate in your hearts to give to the Lord. I think of people in our midst who have, who have, who have taken up this challenge and given to the Lord's work. I think of, of uh, Regis and Bethany Chow who gave a testimony in the last year or so that this, they, they put God first in their finances and God is taking care of them. Will you do the same? I realize you have nothing. Guess what? Neither did these people, but they gave out of their generosity. God made a way. It's his money. So what has God put in your heart? What has God put in your pocketbook? Whatever God has asked you to do, do it, and do it quickly. Let's pray. God, I thank you for your generosity towards us. And Lord, I, I don't say this out of guilt, but out of just out of worship to you. Lord, we know from 2 Corinthians 8 that even if we have nothing to give, but our, our intent is there to give to you, Lord, you even count that because everything is yours. So God, would we just, even out of this genealogy, be surprised by joy and just be overwhelmed with the fact that, Lord, we are amazed about how you could orchestrate all of history and our response will be adoration to you. God, you are so great. You are so generous towards us. Thank you for that. And we pray this in Jesus' name. God's people said, amen. amen.